in the heart of a champion there is a fire and the flames are Welcome to the Code of Man podcast. This is Mike Overtrek Barnett here with you this week. Once again, glad to be sharing some thoughts, some encouragements with you as we try to help you along that masculine journey, the divine image in the masculine heart. And today I'm flying solo. It's only the second time here by myself in the studio. Old Easy Target is away. We'll just say he's on holiday And really, this is going to be the first of what will be two weeks on this topic. And so I'm going to have the privilege of introducing it today. And then next week, I'll have some some of the guys back in the studio with us to finish it out. So what am I going to talk about today? Well, it's going to be a little bit different in that I am going to take a passage of Scripture that I've been wanting to share I've been looking at this and thinking of all the things going on in our society right now. Even as I record this podcast, literally, as I am recording this, our country is filled with so much uncertainty. The results of a national election, many of those, at least the, I guess you could say the most significant result, which is waiting to hear who the next president will be, is still undecided. And folks are still on edge about that. And this has been going on for months and weeks. And on top of that, we've been going through months of COVID-19. And we've had the riots all over. And we've had issues with our police and civilian conflicts. I I could sit here and and talk about many, many things that we have endured. Not to mention your own personal issues and, and things that have affected you and your family's life. And you may be asking yourself a question, how do we make sense of the world we're living in right now? And that's really what I want to talk about today from Psalm 73. It is written by a man by the name of Asaph. Now, Asaph was a musician. He was a chief musician in his day. He was also a prophet, a man who loved God, a man who loved the people of God. And Asaph had tremendous influence in the land among his people, uh, with the kings, and he also had tremendous influence, and most importantly, he had influence in his home. And his sons would go on to serve in Israel and would take part in revivals that would happen underneath King Hezekiah, King Josiah, King Zerubbabel. And, of course, they would lead the worship in the days of Ezra when the foundation of the new temple was laid. You can read about that in Second Chronicles chapter 29. And, uh, and then, of course, in Ezra, chapter 2 and 3, you'll see these, these guys mentioned. So Asaph was definitely a man who loved the Lord and who had a heart for God. And yet, when you read Psalm 73, you recognize that he is going through something that I think we can all relate to. He is asking some pretty important questions, if you will. And I think it comes back to that question I said earlier, how can we make sense of this world that we're living in? And to Asaph, the thing is, you know, he says, you know, he's looking at it, he says, you know, in all that I see around me, 
God, you're not making sense. Life's not making sense. And he's faced with this dilemma. He's faced with a decision. He can either resign or he can get refocused. And how often, men, do we face that same dilemma and decision in our life? It doesn't have to be on the national scale. It can just be something going on in your own life. Some of you listening are pastors. You'll face trials and challenges in your church and in the ministry there, and you're going to have to make a decision. You're either going to resign or you're going to get refocused. As a father, you're going to face things with raising your children, and it'll look like everything you have tried to do that is right has not worked. It's look, it'll look like it's all coming backwards on you, like the thing's just backing up, and you're wondering what is going on. And you can either resign and give up, or you can refocus. The same thing is true, husbands, in your marriages, in your careers, men. You're going to face challenges, hardships, and setbacks. You can either resign or you can refocus. Now, what's the refocus I'm talking about? I'm talking about refocusing on God. Let me, let me put this into context. Psalm 73, he starts out, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. And I, I want to say, thank the Lord, he knew that God was good. He's starting from the right place. And again, Asaph was a man who loved God, loved God's people. He knows God is good. But listen to what he says about this struggle going on inside of his heart. But as for me... My feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression, they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. They speak against the things of God, is what he's saying. Their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore, his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? And here's his conclusion on all that. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. And he says, Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. So you can see what's going on here. Again, Asaph is looking around at what's going on in his culture, in his society. It looks like the wicked are prospering. It looks like those who stand for ungodliness seem to take charge of everything. They, everything goes their way. They're blessed. They've got money. They've got power. And on top of it all, they don't care about God. They just eat, drink, and be merry. And Asaph says, Lord, I don't understand this. I'm trying to do it the right way. I'm trying to honor you. I'm trying to stay focused. I'm trying to raise my children to love you. I'm trying to minister in my church, as we would say in our modern understanding. And he says, no matter what I do, it just seems like it's falling apart. And oh, by the way, the whole world seems to just be full of corruption. And I don't get it. Here's the thing I want to speak to you about today. This is the, the topic. It's Getting over what's going on in the world. Getting over what's going on in the world. Because, men, I know we all face discouragement. We all face those moments in life where we just shake our head and we say, we may not say it out loud, but in our heart, is it worth it? Am I missing something? So I think there are men out there right now 
who are wrestling with discouragement. You're looking around at the world. You're looking at those who seem to be prospering and achieving. They're making more money than you are. They're building new houses. They're getting the promotions. And you're wondering somehow if you're missing out. Maybe you're one of those men who's looking at our current events I mentioned in our our culture today, our, our nation. And you say, how can the wicked be prospering? How Why is it, O Lord, that our nation elects corrupt people? I'm with you. I've watched, I've seen people that, frankly, ought to be put in prison or holding political office. And I understand that. I see that. And we think, why do the ungodly keep winning? Why do they get all the authority, the power, the rewards? And by the way, I don't care which party, political party, you're talking about. It's on both sides of the aisle, as they say. And you, you might think, I, I, does it really even work to try to live for God? I want you to think about it like this. This is the age-old temptation that Satan has brought since the beginning. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. They had everything going for them, and God had provided everything for them. And I believe they would be the first to agree with Asaph in Psalm 73, 1, truly God is good. He has blessed us. He has provided for us. They had everything except one thing. There was one tree they were not allowed to eat from. And the old tempter, Satan himself, came and brought this same temptation to them that many of us feel today. He said, God's holding out on you. God's keeping something back from you. And, of course, Eve, she listened to the lie. She took the fruit. She ate it and gave it to Adam. And Adam, knowing that it was wrong, knowing that he was defying God's will, he also took of it because he believed the lie that God was holding out on him, that just doing it God's way was not enough. Do you know Jesus was tempted in the same way up on the mountain there where he had fasted for 40 days, and Satan comes to him and wants him to turn the, the stones into bread and cast himself off of the top of the pinnacle and, you know, and, and all these temptations to just simply say, it's not enough to just trust in the Father's will. You're foolish, to just do what the Father says. This thing of just committing your life to the way of God, don't you see the world is leaving you behind? Don't you understand? You're the only one doing this. You are a fool. Friends, that's how Asaph felt. And I think that in the day we're living in, as much as the world messages us this way, we get tempted to believe it also. And I want to encourage you today. There's a way to get over what's going on in the world. We don't have to be brought down by all of that. So from Psalm 73, we're going to draw out some truth. We're going to identify some of the problems that brought Asaph to this place, and I think it's what brings us to it. And to do that, I want to start, though, with another psalm that will actually just jump right to the end of the whole matter and sort of give us the solution to the problem before we look at the problem. And that is this, Psalm 69. Psalm 69 says in verse 30 and 32, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. And you'll find at the end of Psalm 73, and we're going to talk about this a lot next week on the podcast, but worship is the way out. I'm going to tell you something. It works all the time. Worship is our way out of the wilderness. Worship is our way through the warfare. Worship is the way to rise above worry, and I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. And he says this, 
This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that hath horns and hooves. Can I make one point here? It is not about just fulfilling some obligation when it comes to our Christian life, men. You know, going to church just because it's expected of us is not enough. Reading our Bible just because we have been told that we, quote, ought to is not enough. That's not what pleases God. What pleases God is the heart, the heart. When we serve him from the heart, we love him from the heart, we share him with others from the heart. And see, Psalm 69, 32 goes on to say this, the humble shall see this and be glad. And here's the phrase I want you to to hold on to today. And your heart shall live that seek God. Psalm 69, 32, write that down. If you can't look at it right now, look it up later. Psalm 69, 32, the humble shall see this and be glad and your heart shall live that seek God. So this is a heart thing we're talking about here. In fact, if you look at Psalm 73, you get a chance to go through that, you'll see that it's about the heart. It's the, you know, the heart's an incredibly important organ in our body, isn't it? I mean, it's the center of everything. Well, that's also true spiritually. You see, the heart speaks of our, not only our thoughts, but of our emotions, our will, you see, the, the heart is the very core of who you are as a person, men. Our masculine heart is where we reflect God. He gave us that heart, and he instilled in us his image right there. And in this psalm, Psalm 73, the heart's mentioned five times. Verse 1, it talks about the clean heart. Verse 7 talks about the envious heart. Verse 13 talks about a self-pitying heart, of course, and that was the last verse I read where he begins to feel sorry for himself. And then verse 21 talks about the repentant heart, which is where we want to get to. And verse 26, the renewed heart. And I guess I should say that's where we actually want to get to, but it takes the repentance to get there. And so this psalm is very much about your heart. Gentlemen, we must care for the heart. We we use the term soul care. It is such an important part of our Christian life. You cannot neglect that and do well. And I'll tell you this, the man who neglects to care for his soul, who does not pay attention to his heart and keep it before God, he is going to struggle so much. I'll I'll tell you this, the man who seems to have less temptation, less problem, less struggle in life, but he doesn't care for his soul, he doesn't attend to his heart, he's just sort of kind of sleepwalking through it all, that man is in far worse condition than the man who struggles every single day with temptation and trial, but he keeps his heart focused on God. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you something that I believe I'm learning is the more we focus our heart on God, the more we seek after him, it says your heart will live to seek God. The more we do that, I think the more trial, temptation, and trouble is going to come our way. We Because why? When you're walking with the enemy, there is no opposition. But when you walk against the enemy, you can expect the opposition to come. And and that's just the way it is. And I'll promise you this, gentlemen, Satan doesn't care to bother you too much if you aren't really pursuing life with God. I mean, Frankly, if you're a born-again believer and a follower of Jesus Christ in the sense that you have been born again and you belong to Jesus, you belong to God through Jesus, 
yes, that's a loss for the enemy. But if that's it, you're not really pursuing deeper walk with Christ. You're not pursuing to be a good servant of the Lord. He's not so much worried. He's going to let you carry on in your mind-numbing ways of chasing the worldly entertainment, chasing the American dream. See, he won't bother you too much there. But as soon as you set your heart, and, and I'm saying this to be an encouragement because you're listening right now and you're interested right now because you understand what ASAP was dealing with. A man of God who loved the Lord, loved God's people, loved his family, and yet he is beset with this trial. He's being tempted to look at the world and think it's maybe better off on that side of the fence. And I'm telling you, men, if you've experienced that, take heart. Take heart. It's because you're wanting to do what's right. And that's why we're speaking to this today. Now, here's the problem, I think. We have to ask the question. When when we're struggling with these types of temptations, these types of internal strife, we're looking around at all the problems, and we're thinking about just, oh, it's just frustrating me. Well, here's the problem. We have to ask the question, what is the point? I mean, if the point is, for ASAF, for us, if the point is fairness and equality, because that's what it looks like he's asking for. He's saying, Lord, how come the ungodly prosper? How come they get everything going their way? And I just seem to be struggling to get by, you know, tempted and tried. We're off made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long. While there are others, you know, that they have no struggle, no problems, it seems. And what we're often looking for is fairness. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to be disappointed. Gentlemen, this world is not fair. Life is not fair. God does not treat us with fairness, does he? If we got what was fair, we'd all be in a bad way right now. So if we're looking for fairness and equality, we're going to be disappointed. If the point is justice and we look around and we say, Why doesn't everybody just either get in line or get what's coming to them? Well, I think we're also going to be disappointed by that because we are living in the age of grace. Now, friends, judgment's coming. And here in a moment, we're going to see that's what Asaph had to get to. He had to see the big picture. And oftentimes when we're disgruntled and and kind of torn up inside, it is because we aren't seeing the big picture. We need to see the big picture. And Here's the thing, though. When the point becomes life with God, then we're going to be blessed and we're going to be edified and we're going to be at perfect peace. We're going to be able to get over the worry and the being cast down. And I love this psalm, too. Let me, let me read this to you from Psalm 3. I believe this one is a great one to commit to memory and it'll help your heart. And it says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. By the way, there's no nothing wrong with acknowledging the problem to God, acknowledging the troubles. But he goes on to say, David here, Many there be which say of my soul, There is no help for him in God, Selah, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked. Will the Lord sustain me? There's, there's a lot of hope in that. There's a lot of peace in that. Psalm 120, verse 1 and 2, In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. You know where those lying lips and deceitful tongue come from a lot of times? It comes from our own mouth, doesn't it? Because we've been believing the lies of the enemy, and then we begin to agree with that. Oh, it's not fair. Uh, life is too hard. 
living on this side of the fence. It seems like I just can't get any breaks and all the wicked. Well, no, we just need to get refocused, refocused. Now, I think one of the big issues that we can draw from a man like Asaph going through this, and, and you'll understand and we can relate to it, it's insecurity. I believe that's as big a thing as, as you can pull out of this. He gets insecure about his position in life. All these distractions of the godless world, all these distractions, they have put him in a place where he has lost his sense of security. You know, he says in verse 3, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And I think to myself, what irony to be envious of the foolish. And yet, I think all of us understand and recognize that that happens in our own hearts sometimes. Why? Because of the very things that Asaph looks at, and he mentions, he talks about in verse 4, how they have this prosperity of, of physical wellness. They seem to be strong, and there seems to be no setbacks for them. And here I am, I'm struggling with this condition and this problem, and my family has this medical emergency. And yet I look at these people, and they seem to have everything. And if they do have a problem, you know, they, they've got, they got the greatest medical care, and they got people doing everything for them. And Lord, why is that? And the prosperity, verse 5 and 6, talks about their social achievement. They all just seem to have friends. Everybody loves them. In verse 7, he talks about their material wealth. I mean, they've, like I said, they've got the new house. They've dri- they're driving the nice cars. They're getting the promotions. And then on top of all that, verse 9 and 11 is very intriguing to me. He says, they set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. In verse 11, they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? And basically what Asaph is saying is, these people don't even care about you, God. And there's, it gives them, they've got this sort of weird peace about it. Of course, we put the word peace in quotation marks. There is no peace really without God. But they seem to be at peace with not worrying about God. And I think Asaph is saying to himself, "And I'm giving so much energy and time to want to make sure that I live right and that I honor you and I want to do things right, God. And, and yet I feel like I'm the one struggling. I'm the one cast down. I'm the one who is having the problems, and they seem like they don't even care about you. Why is that? How is that? And again, this is revealing the insecurity that, that has come into Asaph's heart. He's saying, God, do you not even see this? Don't you, don't you know what's going on? And he's overwhelmed. He says, I, I don't even want to think about this anymore. In verse 12, that's his conclusion. Again, he said, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Now, Let me say something to you, gentlemen. We have to remember that, yes, the ungodly often will be the most prosperous in this world. But do you know why that is? It's because this world is all they have. And they will commit to it and live it as though it's all they have. Where you are in your heart wanting to give God your very best, you want to Raise a family for the glory of God. You want to be faithful to minister in and through your church for the glory of God. You want to be a good witness on the job place. And it doesn't always put you in the spotlight or make you the one everybody wants to promote and give everything to because they're like, can't trust that crazy nut. You know, this Bible thumping, pray, praying, uh, you know, guy over here. I mean, look, we can't be trust, entrusting our company to this guy, right? It don't always work that way. 
I mean, we love to read about Joseph and how he got promoted in the land and all that God did for him, but don't forget this. That took years and years of Joseph being betrayed, uh, belittled, enslaved, lied about, imprisoned. I mean, he went through a lot of rejection before ultimately he rose in prominence, and it was all by the sovereign hand of God, by the providence of God, so we can't forget that. But the the ungodly, rather, they're going to prosper in the world. This is what they live for every day. Not too many weeks ago, we did a podcast on men of God or men of the world, and we looked at Psalm 17. And Psalm 17, verse 14, says this about the men of the world, which have their portion in this life, and whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure. They are full of children and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. In other words, men of the world, this is this life is all they have going for them, and they will invest in it as though it's all they have going for them. And and God fills their belly with the hid treasures. It, it, if only they could see that these things come from God and they would turn to him. But verse 15 goes on to say, but as for me, now here's the, here's the believer talking, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I'm going to keep my, my focus, my gaze on you, God, and I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. You see, here's the thing about it, friend. We might get discouraged. We might feel like things aren't fair. We might be distracted by this godless world. But remember this, there is nothing, nothing in this world that will satisfy you. Nothing will satisfy your heart, only your life with God. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. You see, that's the prayer of our heart. That's where we live. What causes this? What gets ASAP in the place he's in and what often gets us there? What disrupts our peacefulness, our contentment as Christian men? Is it not simply that we have put our eyes too much on the world? I think so. It's a, it's a wonderful life. Great movie, isn't it? I think everybody ought to watch that at least once a year. It's my all-time favorite. It's the story of George Bailey, who for most of his life seemed to miss the point of his life and the point of the title, that it that life is wonderful. You see, because for George, the focus of his life was everything that he did not have, everything that he could not do, everything that he would never be. And by getting so disgruntled with all of that and so distracted with all of that and looking at how everybody else was prospering, he hates Mr. Potter, the rich man in town, but yet he envies Mr. Potter. He wants what Mr. Potter has deep down inside of him because he's focused on the wrong thing. He thinks that his life will only be great if he can travel the world and and build magnificent structures and become a big, important person. And all the while, he's missing how wonderful life is with family and friends and, most of all, faith. And the great thing about that movie in the, in the final scenes of that movie where you see George on that bridge, he's called out to God. And he's asked God to help him, and he's saying this most important statement, Lord, I want God, I want to live again. I want to live again. Help me to live again. And I remind you of Psalm 69, 32, your heart shall live that seek God. And it's a wonderful picture in that movie of really renewal of life, being born again, and, and being able to see your life a whole new way, that it is, in fact, a wonderful life. And so, look, the world's distracting. Politics right now are very distracting. You may be very uh, disturbed about who wins the election. It isn't the candidate that you voted for. They don't stand for the things that 
as we know as Bible believers, are precious and important and eternal truths. But my word to you today, men, is don't let that distract you to the point of you getting unfocused. You see, that's what happens to Asaph. He gets unfocused. And I want to end this podcast this week with this segment. And I want you to see where he goes, because being distracted by a godless world leads him to despair. And so listen to the despair of an unfocused believer. Now think about yourself. And when you get distracted by all that's going on around you, you get frustrated, you get upset, or you get envious, because that can happen. We're not as effective in raising our family, loving our wives, being there for our children. We set our heart and affections on the wrong things. We're trying to balance things out and get our part of it, right? We want, our, we want ours. I want to get mine, you know, and we, we lose sight of the things that truly make life wonderful. Asaph says, Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. It was too painful for me. And we recently were studying on the deadly sin of sloth and, you know, how sloth is typically considered just being lazy. But as we were studying that and we looked in Matthew chapter 25, we saw how that in the parable of that servant who took the one talent and buried it and did nothing with it, when his master comes to get, a, get an account, the servant says, he says, I, I knew you were a hard man, an austere man. And, and he says something very important. He says, I was afraid. And so I took your talent and I hid it. And the master says to him, thou wicked and slothful servant. And what we learned in that study was that sloth, which is a neglecting responsibility, sloth is not doing what is required and expected of us. And what's behind that sloth is fear. He was afraid, and so he did nothing with the talent. And, and that's really what's going on here with ASAP. He's getting afraid. He's afraid his insecurities. He's afraid. He's becoming envious. It's all about thinking he's missing something. And Asaph could very easily fall into that sin of slothfulness because he's making a false interpretation, just like that servant did of the master. He said, you are a hard man. You're an unfair man. And the truth of the matter is, is that he really didn't seem to be at all. He had so greatly rewarded his other servants, he seemed like a very generous master. But sometimes we get in our mind this misperception of reality, and we just think everything is just backwards and wrong, and we've lost sight of how good God is. And Asaph becomes frustrated, and then he becomes fearful, and so he just wants to throw up his hands and say, hey, what's the point? What's the point? Well, I want to stop right here, but I do want to say this. Verses 13 and 16, the second part of this psalm, I, I, I think it's worth noting it's the shortest part of the psalm. You got verse 1 through 12 where he describes what he's, how he's interpreting things, but verse 13 through 16 where he gets in despair, it's the shortest part of the entire psalm. And, of course, verse 17 through 28 we see his recovery. But I'm glad it's the shortest part of the psalm, and at the same time I want to say I'm glad it became too painful for him. Now, aren't you glad that God disrupts us? Aren't you glad that God cares for us enough to shake us up and make us uncomfortable? So we don't waller in our despair. We don't waller in our discouragement. We don't get you know bitter and and um, cynical. 
the word I'm looking for. But, but God disrupts us so that we come back to him. And that's what I want to invite you to do today. I want to invite you, men, just to reset your heart, just to prepare yourself. Now, we've introduced the problem. Next week, we want to come back and we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the, the disciplines that are needed to recover our heart from all of this. So really, getting over what's going on in the world. It's going to take some practical things, some spiritual disciplines in our life. Now, I think we can explore and unpack what Asaph did, what he shows us in this psalm, and it worked for him, and it'll work for us. And I'll try to get the code crew back in here, and we'll talk about these things together and offer you some personal insight and experience on that. And I hope you'll come back next week for the second part of this podcast discussion on getting over what's going on in the world. Friends, don't despair. Don't let what's been decided in Washington, what they're pumping out of Hollywood, what Wall Street says, don't let that be the deciding factor. Don't let that set the tone of your life. Don't let your attitude get cast down. Keep looking to God and trusting Him. Father, I pray today for all the men that listen to this podcast. I think that we all understand what Asaph was going through. And I'm thankful that it's recorded in the Bible for us so that we can learn from it. And help us, help us, Lord Jesus, you are the master of our life. You are the one who leads us. You are the shepherd that leads us to the green pastures and the still waters that restore our soul. And we want to have our hearts restored. We want to fix our attention on you. Get it off of the world. Get it off of the things that seem to not be going our way and see your way clearly. By your grace, Lord, bring this to pass. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a fire.